the community in those, uh, this past year, we, we spent some time and, and we just understood the authority and what the family stood for in that community. And the family lives across from a soccer field where they had executions and beheadings and, and crazy stuff during the Civil War. And we, uh, in the 90s even? 1990. So um, crazy stuff, but long story short, the family's very strategic for that, that town. And we believe that area. And so uh, the mother there, her name's Mommy. Um, I, I don't even know what, I can't remember her first name really, but we all just call her Mommy. You know? And she doesn't let us call her anything else, but she had uh, emergency health issues uh, end of last week. And so she had a kidney removed. She's in the ICU right now. Um, the doctors are not quite sure if she's going to make it, but um, it's kind of dire. And we just want to uh, just lift that family up and her specifically. So if you're near somebody, could you just grab a hand? I just um, want us to agree with this. Jesus, we thank you for the Cruz family. We thank you for El Salvador. We thank you for that wonderful work that has been done there and the covering that that family has given us. And Lord, right now we just declare that those cells and the tissues and all the issues that are in mommy's body, Lord, would just be restored in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you just invade that space? Would you comfort the family? And God, we just declare healing right now. It is your will, Jesus, that she's healed. God, we're not going to stand by and just say, maybe if you do, Jesus, maybe if you don't, Lord, we just say yes. Thank you, God. Lord, we pray that in these moments right now that you just would forge that family together, that you would draw them so deep. Lord, I pray for all the spiritual seeds that have been cast over the past six years or just come to blossom right now around that family. And pray for wisdom, for the doctors, and for strength. And we just call that frail body, that weak body, that weak immune system just to stand up. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, glad we got that out of the way. Not out of the way, but just to bring to your attention. It's going to be a good night tonight. Amen? One thing, if you've been a Christian for about five seconds, you've probably noticed that a lot of Christians are very similar. They're, they kind of like use the same language. You know, they kind of have the same clothes. Like, I don't know. I just got back last night from St. Louis. I was out there for the uh, Christian bookstore alliance and the international christian retail show christian bookstore i mean it's kind of like the rotary phone convention you know it's kind of like this, this you know obscure little market that may not be around for much longer but i got to witness uh people from all around the country and i was uh, there promoting these little memory verse tattoos that uh go on the insides of your wrists met a lot of people that are oversaved for sure <laughs> That was the best part. We actually started keeping score of how many oversaved people we met. It was like this competition. Uh, but it's funny because no matter where you go, if you find Christians, you feel at home based on the way they, they talk and what they say. And uh, there's a hilarious video that we're going to play. And uh, it's going to open the night and set the stage for tonight. So if we have that and we can crank up the volume and, and watch this, this is going to be great. his heart. He's backsliding? I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but 
in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station is the fish? 104.3, the fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group? Community group? Access group? Accountability group? Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. <laughs> There's not enough meat, you know? Are they non to We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're gonna have a sweet time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. <laughs> drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. Been struggling with that. So I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. Need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart. <laughs> Will you hold me accountable to that? Yeah, we'll bounce your ass. Bounce your ass. Dang it. Crap. Shoot. Sheesh. Frip. Darn it. What the H? Holy crap. Son of a beasting. Dude, he's really teeing me off. I'm gonna kick his A. Are you asking me right now? <laughs> Not cool. I find that offensive. Isn't that great? My favorite one is, I'm just trying to guard her heart. I'm just trying to guard her heart. It's like, who on earth developed these terms? All right, let's pray. So Jesus, right now, thank you, God, that we get a laugh at ourselves. And uh, Lord, there's a powerful truth for us tonight. And uh, God, we just ask that uh, you would just... Take control of the words and the message. God, we don't want to hear from me. And we just ask right now there be an impartation, God, of just your heart and your wisdom for this. And uh, we just denounce any nitpicky Christian stuff. And, and God, we want to be powerful people. We want to be powerful people with purpose. And God, we want to know how to live in authority and how to live in such a way, Jesus, that everything changes around us. And... We thank you that your word is so powerful for us, and we just commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, a few observations. I told you I was in St. Louis, and, uh, and just not only you know, in the Midwest and wherever you go, but it seems, and I don't know if, if you can agree with me, but there seems to be like four common things with a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians have similar issues. Isn't it like you see Christians that are riddled with fear and anxiety and doubt and temptation and and they're pessimistic and they're, they're skeptical. I mean, sometimes Christians are like the most downtrodden people ever. They're like, it's probably not going to go right for me. You know, they're like, they're like so Eeyore-ish. You know, Eeyore from the kids' uh, cartoons and Winnie the Pooh. Thank you. Uh, but I, I see that a lot. I'm like, gosh, what? that's really odd that there's so many. Uh, another thing I notice is a lot of Christians, they feel powerless and they don't feel that they're connected with God. It's amazing how many times you can go in a place and be like, you know, raise your hand if you hear, like, you, you connect with the voice of God. And you like, get, like, a few people. And the, the large majority of Christians, if you ask them, say, 
they don't feel connected with God. They don't know what that means or, or feels like. A third thing is a lot of Christians struggle to read the Bible on their own. It's like, you know, you don't want to get into like religion like, hey, it was the last time you read Leviticus. You know, you don't want to jump into that, but, you know, it could just be a simple thing like, how's the word going? And, and you know, it's just people have a hard time. It's just reality. And a lot of Christians sound the same, particularly when they pray. You know, you can, I, I, I hear my prayers, but they're like echoes of other prayers I've heard. And, and like, I'll hear a powerful person pray at church. I'm like, ooh, I got to write that down. I'm going to say that next time, you know? And it's been amazing, but something's wrong. Something is definitely wrong in this generation and in previous generations, but I want us to be aware of what's going on, particularly in ours, and I believe that we should be living a life that is supposed to change the world by what we believe and how we respond to the world. It's what we believe and how we respond. We don't need to have biblical knowledge. We don't need to have every verse in the Bible memorized, though if you're looking to memorize a verse, you know, I gotta really... The point is is that I believe that what Jesus gave us in the word and what we received in salvation, what we received in base truth, is death by a thousand paper cuts. It's not like any one of us are like, oh man, God doesn't exist anymore. I mean, maybe, but that's not like the general reason why so many Christians are not connected, they're powerless and their prayers say the same. I believe it's a million little paper cuts in the foundation of a truth. And when you become a new creation, Something happens to the Bible. When, when you receive Jesus, the Bible completely changes from a history book and an encyclopedia to a user manual. It suddenly changes the nature of what it's supposed to be in our life. And most people don't know that the Bible has a lifetime warranty and a lifetime guarantee on its promises. It's amazing when you read it, it's like, wow, Jesus, this isn't just history. This is the user manual for how I kick life's butt. I use a different word there, but I don't want to get myself in trouble. But have you ever, like, read a user manual and discovered it has all these other features you had no idea? We've had, like, the same office phones for, like, 12 years. I think I, we had some client that couldn't pay their bill, and I, I got, like, 12 office phones, and they're expensive. I'm like, well, a phone, you just, like, call. But there's, like, a million buttons there. And one day, Ashley found the user manual to it, and she brought it, and she's like, hey, we can do, like, intercoms, and we can actually like, push a button where it doesn't, like, ring you anymore, and... And we have extensions, it's like crazy. And I was like, ah, oh, who would have thought? Those features were always there, but we just had never picked up the manual to know. And the goal tonight is for me to uncover some of the things that are in the user manual that we, that they've always been there. It's always been truth. It's, it's the same truth that's been there for thousands of years, but we just never knew. And there's a reason that it's hard to read the Bible. There's a very specific reason it's hard to read the Bible is because the devil is afraid that you're going to find out who you really are and you're going to find out all that you've been given. If there's one single reason why the Bible is difficult, it's not because there's not a translation that fits your style. I mean, there's a trillion translations. I mean, there's a translation for left-handed colorblind people, it seems like. That's not the reason. It's because Satan is afraid that you're going to find out exactly who you are, what you've been empowered with, and where he's going, and the reality of who you are. Because Satan, we know he can't steal our salvation. He can't steal your righteousness. He only can hope to distract and discourage you from knowing the truth and living by the truth. And you need to know that the only way for you as a Christian to remain powerless is to believe that you have no power. And the only way for you to remain unchanged is to believe that you are unchanged. And the only way for you to remain stuck in the rut is to believe that you are the same as before. 
The only way to know the truth is to learn the truth from the word and to learn what it means through the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Those two have to be connected. The word without the Holy Spirit is an encyclopedia. If you read the word and be like, I'm just going to expect to like have my eyes skim and maybe I'll understand some knowledge, like you have to invite the Holy Spirit to say, Jesus, I'm going to read one verse. Would you just give me revelation of this one verse? You don't need to read a whole chapter. You don't need to read a whole you know, section. You just need to read something. Just invite the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, when you read the Bible, it's just law. It's just guilt. It's just obligation. And likewise, the Holy Spirit without the word is like, Steak without potatoes. It's like chips without the salsa. It's like burritos without the tortilla. It just it has to go together. So the Holy Spirit plus the word is transformation. And reflecting on how do we get here, it seems like the best I can deduce from my own life is that there's this monkey see, monkey do way that we learn things. It's like, oh, I heard this. I, I, I picked up that. This song says that, you know. And it says, monkey see, monkey do, but nobody's ever checked if the original monkey had his marbles straight. <laughs> you know, like we, we pattern it, we, we adopt these things, and, and we teach each other. Instead of knowing the truth, we teach people to mimic others instead. And certainly Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there was a time where we didn't have the written word. All we had to rely on was other people, and I, I get that. But sometimes it's come at the expense of actually reading the user manual. And we reveal, remember the... The truth that's being cut by a thousand paper cuts, a million paper cuts, however you want to say. There's one way in which we see which paper cuts we have. It's our prayers. Your prayers will reveal exactly what you believe. Your prayers will believe exactly which truth you stand on. And I've been getting into the truth, I'm like... When you have the Holy Spirit giving you the word, it's amazing. Like, well, I didn't know that. But you know what's funny is that I've spent my entire life praying all the wrong things and praying powerless prayers my entire life. Even like last week, I'm like, Camilla and I will pray in the morning sometimes. I walk away as like, I need to redo that. That wasn't even right. You know, it's like, what am I doing? But I've gotten so used to the Christian ease, the language, and the, oh, Jesus. You know, I've, I've gotten used to that, that my prayers have been autopilot. And let me give you an example of just a normal prayer. This is exactly how my prayers typically have gone. It says, Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Please forgive me my sins, especially the ones yesterday. Today, Jesus, give me your spirit. Be with me, Lord. I pray today you would give me peace. I pray today you would give me patience. Give me love for that person in my life that I don't want to love. Give me joy today, God. Give me power today, God. Would you make me complete? I'm a work in progress needing you so desperately. I pray you would defeat the enemy before me. God, if it's your will, have this business deal go through. God, if it's your will, heal this person. And so on and so on. Amen. Do you know the only thing I said right in that entire prayer was, Jesus, thank you for this day? Doesn't that sound like I've heard that a million times? I mean, maybe we... (laughs) I mean, I probably prayed that this morning out of habit, but let me just take you through this, is that, that in here, I'm going to take you through all the unbelief, and when you pray through unbelief, you're praying powerless prayers, and you're wasting your, your time. You're referencing something completely false. I've developed a pattern, and it's become so hard to break that pattern, so let me take you through this. I'm not going to spend much time on this because at various times in in the past six months or so, I've really picked on one of these issues, so I'm not going to belabor them as much as I can normally. But uh, forgive me my sins, especially yesterday. 
While Jesus appreciates the reminder that you're his savior, he's like, have you read the word? It reminds us that Jesus paid for sins once for all. And there won't be another cross. He remembers our sins no more. 1 Peter 3.18 says the exact same thing. Christ died for sins once for all. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What's powerful about that, without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. What that means is that there's not going to be another cross. It doesn't mean you're not forgiven. It just says that there's not going to be another cross. Hebrews 8.12, I'll forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. When we come in our prayers and we start looking at our sin, it means we're not looking at Jesus. When we're concentrating on our sin, it's not looking at Jesus. Jesus is a much better Savior than you are at sinning. Tim Chaddock said that. I love that. He is a much better Savior than, than you are at sinning all the time. If you're looking at sin, it's, it means that your focus has turned away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, I get it, you know. That's fine. I'm, I'm not, you know, you don't, I'm not going to dock you points in your prayer. But he's just like, come on, let's get to the other stuff. He's like, yeah, I'm your Savior. So what you really should say instead is, thank you, Jesus. You have forgiven me once for all time. I reject any shame and guilt I have from yesterday. Do you know how that's totally different? I reject the guilt and shame from yesterday. How about this? I say this all the time. Give me your spirit, Lord. Be with me. Asking God for his spirit is like asking to be wet while swimming in a pool. It's just like, you are the living temple of Jesus. And if you're in Christ, you have no choice, but Jesus dwells within you. It, it's not optional. Jesus hates moving. And so if he's going to vacate your heart, he's not going to move out. I can't imagine what it takes to have all of eternity of heaven out of your body. I imagine there's a lot of boxes there. But he's not going to move out. He's not going to leave once he's in. Matthew, 8, Matthew 28, 20 says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, You yourself are God's temple and God's spirit dwells within you. I love the, um, the song we sang tonight, uh, A Breathe, Your Living Presence Living in Me. So awesome. I remember singing the song at like, you know, church camp. You know, cast me not away from your presence. You know that song? And take not thy Holy Spirit from... What a terrible song! <laughs> I mean, like, don't take it away from me. It's like, wow. Next time you're, you're, like, singing songs, like, think about the words am I saying because there are these little paper cuts. Like, that's... And, and that was an Old Testament psalm. But we have the presence of God all the time, always. I'm sure that person was well-intended. I'm not trying to torch them up, but... But it's, it's funny how these little things creep in. And there's a difference, and this, this could be its own night altogether. There's a difference between possessing the Spirit of God and being filled with the Spirit. Those are two different things. You receive Jesus as your Savior. It says that you are transformed, and Jesus starts to live through you. Now, there's instances in the Bible where it talks about being filled with the Spirit where really crazy things happen. And I'm not going to get into all of it, but essentially the difference is, is that when you're filled with the Spirit, there are circumstances where the Spirit takes over in such a supernatural way for impartation, for equipping, and for intervention. It's kind of like you are co-laboring with Christ in the Spirit, right? And then there's certain moments in life where the Holy Spirit's like, hold on, man, I got this. You know, and he, like, he takes over. Peter in front of the Sanhedrin, he had the Spirit of God already. And then says, and then filled with the Holy Spirit, 
because he already had the Spirit. And then he gives like the greatest sermon the Sanhedrin's ever seen and, and gives great witness. Over and over again, you see Christians that have been filled with the Spirit multiple times. That is the, the object that we would continually seek, God, would you take over, not me. But it even talks about when you are in front of accusers, it says, don't be worried about what you're going to say for the, you'll be filled with the Spirit and the Spirit will speak through you. And so don't think for a minute ever that we can get away with saying, God, give me your spirit because I don't have your spirit. Now you have his spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. He's talking to Christians. He's talking about a mentality, a mode that we would seek. What you should say instead in your prayers, it says, thank you, Jesus, for your spirit that is with me and guiding me. You are always with me. If you want to take over any point today, be my guest. How about the give me's and the help me's? I say this all the time. Give me peace, Jesus. Give me patience. Give me joy. Help me love this person, right? We all have somebody in our life that's like really hard to love, and we ask, God, help me love them, you know. <laughs> and Christians have a habit of asking God for things he's already given them. How annoying it would it be if... You know, I give my, my uh, daughter, uh, she's horse crazy, by the way. She's 19 months and she's horse crazy. So I, I, there's going to be a day where she's going to be able to articulate, I want a pony, you know. And I'm, I'm going to give her a pony one day. But how much would it drive me nuts if every other holiday, every day of the week, she's like, Daddy, would you give me a pony? Daddy, give me a pony. I'm like, have you seen the backyard with all the poop out there? Like, you have a pony. You know, like... Asking for it over and over again, is just, it, it just doesn't make sense. And Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to God, the Father, the Lord, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What it means is that when we pray, we should ask ourselves, have we already been given what I'm praying for? I'm asking for peace. Haven't I already been given peace? Galatians 5.22 says that. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In fact, we've also been given everything pertaining to life, if you can believe that. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the, that's a great word there, true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, according to the true knowledge. So we've been given all of the things that we usually ask for. Watchman Nee has a great way of describing helping love another person. And he just says, you just surrender. You're like, Jesus, I can't love that person. You know I can't love that person, right? And just like fess up to it. Like if you try with willpower, you're not going to love him. You're just going to like, oh, I'm going to act nice. I'm going to act loving. And that's not love at all. What he says is like, Jesus, you are love. And I have you, Jesus, and that life that's in me, the law of that life is love, and that life in me can't help but love this person. So Jesus, when I encounter that person, allow me to just get out of the way and let you love him. Because I can't. And it's great. And when we have the mentality, it's so great. How about, how about give me power? Give me power, Lord. We, we think salvation is free, but we have to beg for power. Acts 1.8, when you receive you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You receive Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, your lights are turned on. You have electricity 
inside the temple of God, which is you. When the Spirit comes, his power is part of it. He pays the electricity bill for that power. So you don't have to try and earn it. You don't have to try and, 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 try and um, beg him for it. He wants to give it to you all the time. How about this? I say this. Help me live like you, Jesus, my prayers. 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him, that's Jesus, must live as Jesus did. I was terrified of that verse. I was like, how do I live like Jesus? Does that mean I get like the, the, the sandals and the robe? Or do I not get a phone? Or what does that mean? Do I just eat manna? I don't even know what manna is. Like, what does that mean? But when we understand what the truth says, we understand Galatians 2.20, it says, I don't live, but Christ lives in me. It means that Whoever claims to have fellowship with Jesus has Jesus in their hearts. And that life, the life of Jesus, will begin to take over. And your life will begin to look like Jesus' life. You literally are Jesus incarnate. Literally. It talks about angels rejoicing in heaven when every new person comes to Christ. Why? It's because that's one more person that's Jesus incarnate on the earth. How rad is that? That the more people come into relationship with Jesus, the more of God's presence is on the earth. That's pretty rad. Jesus says, I came to give you life, and that, he's the life. He's the life that's in us. So if Jesus is living in you, you possess his power. And it really makes no sense when we think about this to ask Jesus for anything spiritual at all. Why? It's because if we have Jesus, we just have to remember, what does Jesus have? Well, if Jesus has that, then I have that, because I have Jesus. It's like, wow. And then we can begin to pray in power. We begin to thank God that we already have every spiritual blessing. It should be, thank you, Jesus, that I have you, and man, you kicked butt on earth. And so I'm going to do the same thing in my day today. I'm going to have the eyes and ears of you because you live in me. And so I'm ready. How about, would you make me complete? I'm a work in progress. We all think, we're oh, I'm a work in progress. I'm working on my testimony, right? I mean... <laughs> That video is so hilarious. Colossians 2.10 makes it very clear. In him, you've been made complete. Believe it or not, you are complete. Jesus doesn't do installments. He has no, like, five-installment plan. He doesn't, like, he's not, like, contractor construction work where there's, like, multiple phases. He's, like, all at once right now. But you're, like, but my life doesn't look like Jesus' life. How can I have every spiritual blessing and have all the things pertaining to life and how can I have Jesus living in me right now when my life looks like this? And I get that. People believe that they start as a babe in Christ and then grow to possess spiritual things. Let me restate that. Our default mentality when we hear babe in Christ is we think, I'm an infant and then I'm going to receive all these things in my spiritual growth. I'm going to like develop. I'm going to have all these different things. But you can be a babe in Christ and still possess every spiritual blessing at the same time. Those two go hand in hand. You've been given everything, all power and authority from Jesus that brought him from the grave you have in you. And here's an analogy. I'm going to give you two. Babies, I, hold on, baby theology coming. They have all the tools they need to walk and stand up when they're 10, 11 months old. I mean, even when they're at birth. I mean, they have everything that they need. They have legs, hopefully. They have knees, feet, joints. They have ligaments. They have arms to push themselves up. They have hips. They have a sense of balance. They have a sense of up and down. They have a brain to make it all work. I mean, they have everything, right? 
but they can't walk until they use to learn them all together. They didn't need like, oh, well, someday she's going to sprout legs and then she'll walk. It's not that at all. One day, everything's going to come together and she'll begin to walk. And so some of us, we don't want to hear, but maybe we do need to hear that maybe some of us are babes in Christ. Is that we, we, we need to hear, we've been given everything, but right now I'm trying to put it all together. And that's totally okay. Because Jesus wants you to know that you don't need to seek him for all these new legs, all these new arms or whatever. He says you are complete, but you are learning to walk. And we're a generation, I really believe, of, of babies who never learn to walk. And we don't even notice it because nobody else is walking. Seems normal. Seems like, oh, I go to church. I bring a Bible that I never opened during service. I go home unchanged, and I use all the Christian euphemisms. Here's another way of thinking about it. Michelangelo's David. You guys know this one, like the most famed pieces of art? That was made from a single slab of marble. A single slab of marble. It wasn't like he attached anything else. And the truth is that, is that the magnificent and priceless piece of work was always in the rough slab. That beautiful masterpiece, that thing that was, that was so incomprehensible to make was always in that rough, full stone. It just hadn't been fully revealed yet. The masterpiece was revealed one clink of the hammer at a time. And the mastermind, the mastermind who does this, he always has the end result in mind. He didn't have like an iPad he's like modeling it after. Like he always in his mind saw exactly the finished piece. And Jesus is the same way. He sees you. He sees the finished piece in you. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. The workings of God is not adding to you, but it's revealing what's already in you. Let me say that again. The workings of God in your life, since you have everything already, the workings of God in your life is not about adding to you, but it's about revealing what's already in you. And so we understand that. Suddenly our Christian walk changes. So we don't need to be asking and begging and pleading. And then how do we ever know? Jesus is so smart. He's like, I'm going to give you everything all at once. All at once. You have it. And then you're going to slowly have it revealed in you by me and by your own choices. It has everything to do with learning about what's already there. So in this, how should you pray? It says, we, I think we should say, thank you, Jesus, that you've given me all peace, all patience, and that you've given me everything to be vi victorious in life. You have made me complete, lacking for nothing today. I choose joy today because you are joy. We don't have to ask Jesus to give us joy. He is joy. Next, how about defeat the enemy, right? I hear a lot of people saying, Defeat the enemy, bind the enemy, cast out the devil. You know, we have, the devil is after me, you know. Wait, what's that? Oh, newsflash, the devil's defeated. So we all can, like, know that. <laughs> right? Yeah, you can applaud. This just in, the devil was defeated a long, long time ago. But he's still around. And he's just trying to cause as much damage before he's evicted. He's been foreclosed on, but the sheriff hasn't arrived yet. This is how you can think about it. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
Paul refers to our position against Satan as standing firm, that we don't fight, we resist his tactics. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. But here's something you need to know. Don't fight an enemy that's already been defeated. Don't fight an enemy that's already been defeated. It's like playing, like, okay, like last week was the Spurs. I know some guys were here last week, and it was like spiritual sacrifice to be here, <laughs> right? Crowns in heaven for you guys. I mean, it's just going to be like, yeah, game seven, Spurs and Heats. Yeah, here's a big jewel for that one, because that one was tough. I think Jesus almost missed epic laugh last week for that. But, okay, so the Heat won, wah, wah, right? So, yeah, whatever. But it would be like this week, it would be like praying for the Spurs tonight to win the finals when the Heat already won. It's like, are you, did you not, have you been under a rock? Didn't you know that LeBron won? Romans 16.20 says this about us and Satan. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He was already defeated but we get to do some trampling in the meantime. Don't wait on God to do something he said that you're going to do. So we say, God, defeat the enemy. He's like, newsflash, he's already defeated. And, but he's still around. And he says, but the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Jesus defeated Satan, and it's your job to crush his attempts at messing with you. So instead of praying, God, defeat the enemy, you should pray, thank you that the enemy is defeated and the battle is won. I plan to crush and stamp out all remaining attempts that Satan or his little minions will try to mess up my day and steal my joy. It's like, I'm wearing my boots today. I mean, you can just like warn them, you know? I don't care if you even like figuratively put on boots when you pray that. Like it, it has power for it. Last one here. This is the one I drives me the, the most nuts on, is if it is your will, God. If it is your will, right? Whenever we say, if it is your will, it means two very specific things. First, when I say, if it is your will, God, it means, I don't want to be blamed if this doesn't work. Come on. Come on. If it is your will, Lord, let me get this job so that I I don't have any responsibility if I don't get the job. It's not my fault, right? Or if, we, if we, we pray that over somebody else, if it is your will, God, then do such and such. And, and then if no result comes of it, then we're like, well, I guess it wasn't his will. And then it leaves the person who's maybe being prayed for like, well, God, why isn't it your will for me to have that? Or why isn't it isn't your will for me to X, Y, Z? The second thing it reveals about when we use that terminology is that we don't know what the will of God is. When we say, God, if it is your will, it's actually saying, I don't know what the will of God is, but it sounds really good right here, so I'm going to say it. Because the will of God actually is not that hard. There is a ton of verses in the Bible that explicitly say what the will of God is. I actually post them all on my blog in one, so you can like, find them all together. But we use it all the time. But Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's pretty straightforward. It means that we don't need to always be wondering, God, what is your will for new? I wish I just knew. It just says, when you have a transformed mind, you'll be able to test and approve what the will of God is. Notice it's not that you will suddenly have revelation that nobody has about the will of God. It's actually the will of God is already explicit in the Bible, 
But on life, we'll be able to test and approve, is this the workings of Jesus? Is this his will? So you should be praying, God, it is your will for someone to be saved. The word's very clear. It is not the will of Father that anyone should perish. Therefore, God wants every soul on this earth to know Jesus. So you say, well, it just isn't God's will that they would know him. Not so. <laughs> That's not correct. It's God's will that we would be in relationship with him. It's God's will that we would be pure, to repent. It's God's will that we rejoice, that we're faithful, that we do what's right to serve others, to live by the Spirit, on and on and on. And yes, it is God's will that someone's healed. Encountering Jesus says, if you're willing, Lord, he says, I'm willing. It's God's will. You read any of the accounts of where the multitudes came and it says, and Jesus healed them all. Jesus isn't like, man, I was drawing straws. You know, it just wasn't my will that you didn't get picked. You know, he healed them all. So you see the differences? Let me give you the first prayer real quick again, and I'm going to give you what it sounds like in truth. Again, I'm not picking on anybody here. This is just me being like, I'm such a clown. Jesus, forgive me my sins, especially that one yesterday. Today, give me your spirit. Be with me, Lord. I pray that you give me peace. I pray that you give me patience. Help me to love that person that's in my life that I don't want to love. Give me joy today. Give me power today. Would you make me complete? I pray that you would defeat the enemy before me. If it is your will, have this business deal go through. Lord, if it's your will, heal this person, etc., etc. Instead, here's how it really should sound. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you, Jesus, that you have forgiven me once for all time. I reject shame and guilt. No matter what I did from yesterday, you remember it no more. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit that is with me and guided me. You are always with me. Thank you, Jesus, you've given me all peace, all patience, all kindness, everything that I need to be victorious today and in life. You have made me lacking in nothing today. If I see that person that's hard for me to love, Jesus, I pray you would take over, fill me with your spirit, because the life that's in me can't help but love that person. Today I choose to live in joy because, Jesus, you are the joy of all creation. I have you. Thank you, Lord, that the enemy is defeated and the battle is won. I plan to crush and stamp out any remaining attempts that Satan has to mess up my day. God, it is your will that people are healed. May this person encounter a healing touch in Jesus' name. God, you are good and you delight in the success of your children. I declare favor over me that I'll be at my best today for this business deal. I declare that I will be the best person that I can with my talents you've given me. Thank you that your identity that my identity is you and my worth is in you and not in this business. I declare protection over my family. I declare revelation. Any person near me that needs to encounter you because Jesus, you are in me. And now, Jesus, I want to ask you boldly. Dun, 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 dun. So I want to wrap up and just give you a couple, just few suggestions. All that I know about trying to pray in power is one is pray specific outcomes. Not this, Lord, if it's your will, have something go right today. It, it, it shouldn't be vague. It should give specifics for what you want. Do you know that the disciples are like, Jesus, we want you to give us anything that we want. And you know what his response was? It wasn't like, you jerk. How selfish are you? How dare you? He said, well, what do you want? What do you want? He was like, I don't think they were like asking, really? Don't ask God to give you what you already have. Ask him to remind you to choose to live in the truth. Ask him to remind you what you already have. Second is, I learned this from Jared and Charity a lot, is make declarations. I think a lot of our prayers, they should be declarations. They shouldn't be requests. 
Like we, we should flip it on its head because usually like 99% of our, our prayers are usually like requests, you know, but it should be about de declarations. And we declare these truths because we're believers, not feelers. We don't feel like we have peace. We don't feel like we have patience, but we believe that we do. So we declare, I have peace. I declare I have patience. I declare abounding love. A declaration is stating what is already true. A declaration is stating what is already true. You already have it. And we learn when we have the truth that there's a difference between facts and truth. Fact, I have fear, I'm anxious, I'm angry. Truth, I have peace, I have patience, I have love. And when you're in that mentality, you don't talk to God about your problems, you begin to talk to your problems about your God. When you have the truth, you don't talk to God about your problems, you talk to your problems about your God. Speak to your problems from a position of confidence and truth of who you are and the victory you have. Next is be thankful. Half of my time now is just like, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was noticing today on my drive home, uh, Scarlett, she, she's learned to say, I love you back. It's, I you. You know, like, Scarlett, I love you. She's like, I you. She says it about one out of a hundred times back to me that I say it to her. But I say it all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. And it like hit me. It's like, I wonder if I say it back as much as Jesus is saying it to me. Because I realize how much I love it when she replies it back. It like warms me up. And it's like, yes. And it never gets old. I do it all through the day. And so I just was driving back. And it's like, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. 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 You know? <laughs> it, it doesn't get old. And as I was doing that, this girl was like, I you. I was like, oh. <laughs> Finally, when asking, ask boldly. For situations, don't pray defensively. Pray offensively. And I just want to ask you, what would happen if you begin to pray outrageous and bold prayers? When we were gone, I prayed the most outrageous, I wrote it down, I dated it, and I like prayed the most outrageous, bold, ridiculous, selfish, self-centered prayer I've ever prayed in my life. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But it's like freeing. And I, I pray that right after I read the passage of the disciples asking God, we want you to do whatever you want or whatever we ask of you. Such a selfish thing. I couldn't believe it. It's like, oh, they're going to really get it now. And just respond, well, what do you ask? It's like, man, am I asking boldly? Am I asking ridiculously? What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> just doesn't happen. What's the best that can happen? I like to think about that. Now, I don't tie my identity to that request. I don't put all of my eggs in that basket about, is God really real if he gives me, you know, whatever. Maybe you want a Lamborghini. Fine. But are you going to put that God is, is real based on if you get a Lamborghini? Like, there's a little diminishing return there. But I want us to begin to ask God to give us boldness and pray outrageous prayers. Because people who pray outrageous prayers are going to live outrageous lives. Amen? Let's pray and let's worship. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so Lord God, we just we thank you for just the power that you just extend to us and the authority that you extend to us. I feel just tonight for for just a lot of us in here there's just been these things where we've been we've been contending and we've been we've been searching and and sometimes we know what we want, but there there seems to be just this place where like things start to, to feel like they're shortened or we stumble and we fall and 
and I feel like there's just a lot of people that have like this gut instinct tonight, like that they, they want something to shift. They want to see a shift. And, uh, and that, that comes from an intimacy with the Lord. And intimacy requires obedience in relationship. And through obedience comes authority. And so I just, I feel like God's calling us to a heightened level of authority. So I just want to, I want to call forth the prayer team. We have, uh, we have just mighty warriors over here just to pray these things through with you because your prayers matter. Your prayers matter a lot. And if you want to just stand with us as we begin to worship, um, if you have any prayer that you need, we just, we want to contend for that with you. And we want to be here with you. Yeah, so we just bless your spirit. Real quick, um, we didn't share this before uh, because we just didn't want to uh, have any alarms go off, but uh, Jadita tonight, while she was rehearsing, got rushed to the hospital, and she has symptoms of a possible stroke. She's in the hospital right now. And uh, so, Laura, could you come up and pray for Jadita? I just got a text that we're a family here, and so when one of us is in need, that we're going to stand together and agree in that. Jesus, we just lift up our sister Jadita to you right now, God, and we just speak over her body the peace that you've given her, the divine health that you release over her. We just ask right now, God, that you would just fully touch her body, that you would make it come in alignment with who you are. You do heal. <laughs> you are our healer. You are her healer. And so we thank you right now, God, that you're putting every kind of right doctor nurse anybody like that because you you created those people to have the mind and the ability to administer correct medications i believe fully that that is you walking on the earth with people and so i just thank you right now god that everything that you're using every single tool that is there for her right now will just come underneath your authority and come underneath your submission and that she will be a hundred percent healed a hundred percent better able to declare the glory of Jesus in her life through this and that you will touch and cover Paul so that he will know that not only are you her healer but you're his healer as well and that his wife is completely protected when he places her in your hands and not in his hands thank you Jesus